Welcome to Converge Coffee. This is Sean Sullivan. I'm here with Jerry Epstein, CEO of Never Stop Marketing. He has 20 years of international marketing experience in helping to bring innovative technologies into the mainstream. Most recently, Jeremy was the VP of Marketing at Sprinkler, which grew from 20 million valuation in 30 people to 1.8 billion valuation in 1,400 people in four years. Today, Jeremy is the only person in the world going on all, all in on blockchain and marketing, according to Joel Monegro, um, the former lead blockchain analyst at a top-tier VC firm, Union Square Ventures. Jeremy, thanks for being on the show. How are you? Oh, it's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. So I think we've crossed paths of when I did my initial research and sending out on LinkedIn and I was just interested in blockchain and um, we just had a little conversation about uh, why did you, why'd you start Never Stop? Like can't stop, won't stop. <laughs> but why'd you start Never Stop Marketing? Oh, wow. Yeah, that, that's a story that goes back um, multiple years. I used to work at Microsoft for about six years. And one thing I noticed is that, you know, Microsoft's fiscal year ends June 30th. And what would happen is as we got into the last, you know, four to eight weeks of the year, everyone's attention would turn to closing, you know, the final uh, deals of that fiscal year. Um, and there was always talk of like, oh, we need to keep our marketing going through, you know, the summer. And they, they called it Q5. But after seeing this like three years in a row, what happens is people like hit their deals at the end of June. They go on vacation. There's some internal conferences. And then what happens is people got back. Uh, after Labor Day, and they look at their sales pipeline and be like, oh, my God, like, we have no pipeline. <clears throat> and people are like, we need to do stuff. And I was like, wait a second. We stopped marketing back in May. We never really kept any momentum going through the summer. Like, our customers don't care. Like, they don't care what our fiscal year is. And you don't just, like, if you want a pipeline in September, you market, you start doing your marketing for it in, like, May. Like, it's just that easy. You can't ever stop marketing. You can never stop marketing. And I was like, you know what? That's my mantra, man. It's about you have to keep it going. I mean, you can dial it up or, or down in intensity as necessary, but you should just never come to a full stop. And because your market out there, like for them, they're on their own calendars and you need to be respectful of that. So that's the origin story. That's an awesome origin story with, uh, with never stop. Now, Getting into more of, I mentioned blockchain, you know, how does, this is a new technology to a lot of people. Um, how does new technology dictate how marketing gets done? Right. So that's a great question. Um, you know, I think if you look back uh, over the history of marketing, right, you'll realize that there are a couple of things that are sort of eternal. I call it like Peter Drucker marketing. You know, it's, it's you care about your customers, you deliver value. I mean, this stuff has been around since like painting on the walls of caves. But I think what's really interesting to think about is um, as each technology, technological wave hits, you know, it affects marketing and, and it changes the execution. So, for example, in the 1800s, you know, the penny papers were introduced in New York and that basically introduced the advertising at scale kind of capability. Then you bring on radio and it makes marketing like much more 
you know, aud- auditory and like you're hearing and experiencing that way. And then TV makes it visual. Internet makes it faster. You know, social makes it two-way. Mobile makes it location independent. So all these things happen. So I was like, okay, well, what the heck? If blockchain is as big as I think it is, um, and I think it's pretty damn big, like what's it going to do to marketing? So that was sort of the subject of the book that I put out um, back in uh, July. It's called the CMO Primer for the Age of Blockchains. And essentially, it has four words by the chief marketing officers from both NASDAQ and Dun and & Bradstreet. And basically, um, what we explore over about 70 pages is, you know, how is blockchain going to affect things like advertising, loyalty, data management, customer experience, things like that. And so... I think what you have to think about is like within, when you look at, you know, sort of how marketing gets done, if you understand that and then you look at what are the things that blockchain does really well, and I don't know sort of how much your listeners know about um, blockchain, but the important thing is not so much the technology, although it's ridiculously cool and how it works. I think the important thing to, is to remember is that this is for the first time we have a way to broker trust uh, between two parties, allow for the exchange of assets between those two parties, um, and to do it between any two parties without the need for a third party in the middle to verify the transaction. It's that verifiability without a third party that's a game changer. And so, and and to have security along with it. And then when you look at that, you're like, okay, well, let's look at all of the parts of the marketing kind of technological landscape, if you will, and um, think about where are the parts where there are a lot of intermediaries, that's most likely where blockchain is going to start hitting. And it's no surprise then when you look at the marketing technology landscape that I put out like last week, the second one, that there's a huge concentration of startups attacking digital and, you know, programming, display and programmatic advertising, um, loyalty being another one. And so it's like, these are places that there's just a huge amount of inefficiency in the value chain. You know, the, the uh, for every dollar a brand spends, you know, the publisher only gets like 44 cents of value by the time all the middlemen have taken their cut. Well, that has blockchain written all over it, you know. So I think that's interesting to think about and to start saying, okay, well, what are the new tools and technologies and platforms that marketers are going to have to use? But more importantly, if we live in this world where we have decentralized identity and where data is a public utility as opposed to stuck in a private silo, like what does that mean? Well, it means your relationship now is not with a person. It's maybe with like a wallet or some sort of string of numbers. And the way you understand value for what that person on the other end of that wallet cares about um, requires a different type of insight. It requires a different type of you don't get the demographic and kind of you know data. You have to kind of earn that stuff and then you have to sort of be willing to pay for it and deliver value on top of it. So it's a pretty different paradigm. And honestly, most days I wake up thinking I have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. Um, But those are just some of the things that I think about. So that was a lot, but hopefully it gives you some context. It gives good context. Um, Do you mind describing, you know, in like a very simple way what blockchain is? And then the second thing is what's the value proposition around blockchain. You broke this out in two parts when we previously spoke. I kind of want to let the audience know what the whole blockchain movement is about, what's the parts around it. Yeah, I'm gonna have to remember what it was because honestly, man, every time we talk every time I talk about blockchain, like I I kind of give a slightly different explanation. Not 
maybe it's partially because I'm not even 100% sure I understand all the implications myself. Um, but also what I've seen is like, you know, as a marketer, I'm constantly trying to test and and refine the way that sort of um, is going to make it the most accessible to the most number of people. So um, I might be on like V7 since we last talked. And for all I know, um, the original one was better and what have you. But here it goes. And we'll, we'll take it from there. Um, so I think the, the thing to understand about blockchain is that at its core, it's basically a database. And um, it's a, like all of us have a copy of an Excel spreadsheet or a Google uh, sheet. But instead of sitting on my computer or your computer, basically we have an exact perfect copy on everybody's um, computer everywhere else. And what there are is there are very clear rules about how uh, information is added to our mutual spreadsheet. So um, that's part of it. The second part of it is, is because of the, the data is added in a very kind of clear and sequential way. Um, and then that data is kind of cryptographically locked down and secured by a whole bunch of things called like hashes and Merkle trees and things like that. Um, and then basically um, connected to each other, <clears throat> each one of those in a block, in a series of blocks connected becomes a, a chain of blocks, hence a blockchain. And so that gives you like, it's not impossible, but it becomes really, really difficult to go back and change history. And so like the information you have a much higher degree of confidence that the information that you're looking at is actually accurate as it was at that particular moment in time. So once you lock that down, um, that becomes, uh, and, and you do it in a decentralized manner, which increases the security, you actually have the foundation for being able to um, move items of value between people <clears throat> without uh, any type of third party. So essentially then, if a line on a spreadsheet represents, you know, ownership of an asset, and basically you own, you have the key, <clears throat> pardon me, that opens up that particular line, um, that, that safety deposit box for that line on the spreadsheet, then you can access whatever it is in that box, and then basically you can transfer that to anybody else you want. Now, the good news is everybody knows at that moment that you're the owner of that because if you have the key, you're the owner. So that makes it really simple. One person or one entity um, owns that. And then you can say, you know what? I authorize the sending of this asset, whether it's some amount of money or it's a digital coin that represents your house or your car or a computer or whatever it is. I'm sending it to this address. And we don't really care why you're doing it. But basically, you're announcing to the network, hey, I want to send it. And there's a way that we validate that, okay, did you actually have that money or did you actually have that car? Yep, did. Okay, now we're going to send it to this guy. And now everybody knows that the other guy now has that asset and you don't have it, which means you can't spend it twice, which is what blockchain solved, what's known as the double spend problem that's inherent in digital ne uh, networks. Like if I take a picture of my kids and I send it to you, you have a copy of the picture and I have a copy of the picture. That's not a problem with information. It's a huge problem with assets, right? So basically, now we can be assured that the asset has moved from point A to point B. Everyone knows that so that down the road, if portion on point B wants to say, hey, do you have, um, I'd like to, I'm going to send this to point C. Everybody knows that point B actually owns it, that point A owned it before that. And that chain of custody is very, very clear, which is why in the future, you're not going to need things like title insurance um, that for around the house, because like the chain of ownerships hasn't been broken, you know who owns it, it's very clear, everybody, there's no title search necessary, that kind of thing. So essentially, 
that's just a, a pretty big deal in terms of how assets are moved. And oh, by the way, because it's super, super cheap, relatively speaking, to track assets because they're basically these digital numbers as opposed to actual physical things. They just, the digital numbers represent a thing there, they're connected to it. Um, you can cost effectively keep track of uh, assets of smaller and smaller values. So like down to the data being synced from your Fitbit to the cloud, like, each step you take could be worth something and we can pay you and we know that, that you've been paid and that your money's secure and it's verified, uh, it's sort of locked in this sort of blockchain thing. So I don't know if that's helpful or better or worse than the previous one, but that's what I'm, that's the version I'm currently working on. I, I, it was, actually, it's a, it's, I think we were on version like four and you've changed it up in the past, past month or so. All right, well, um, but no, it, it makes... It's better. It's more logical. And and how does this how does this affect marketers? Um, can you kind of give some specific examples? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a great question. Like, I spent a lot of time thinking about this, and I don't. I'm, I'm pretty sure I don't have um, all the answers. But I think what it does is, like, on a simple level, like we start off with advertising. So if you're going to be buying advertising, like that's an exchange of two assets. So eventually you're going to be able to say, okay, I'm going to um, pay directly to this person for this particular piece on their, of advertising real estate on their website and bang, those are two assets that have switched hands. But they even go further. Let's say, for example, that you want to get, excuse me, you know, and this happened the other day. Like there's this site I use called uh, earn.com where basically um, if people want to get in touch with me, they can pay $5, which actually all goes to charity, but because I'm just kind of testing it, but they can pay $5 and that will guarantee them that I'm going to respond to their email, right? Because I get a bunch of emails. I can't respond to everything like LinkedIn. It just doesn't make sense. And so basically you're, we're going to move in. And there are people who are like a hundred dollars, like Mark Andreessen is like a hundred dollars. So I'm, I'm a bargain, right? So basically, <clears throat> you know, you put that out there and you say, okay, my attention to your particular email is worth $5. Are you willing to pay that? If you are, great. You know, and, and that's someone the other day was like, hey, I really wanted to have this conversation. And I just like, again, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not trying to be arrogant or difficult. It's just like, I got too many things coming and I have to kind of focus on my core stuff, obviously. Um, but this guy's like, no, I'm going to pay for this. And I was like, wow, this is a guy who fundamentally gets what marketing in the new world looks like. I'm, I'm going to pay my customers and my prospects for their attention because I'm so confident that whatever I need to, get their attention for has value. So, you know, over the last 20 years since the explosion of email, your customer's attention has been free, basically. You just sort of spam them with email and whatever. But now that power is going to shift because customers say, oh, I have time to, like, you can fill one 30-second spot on my TV or whatever or my computer or pre-roll, but this is what's going to cost you. You know, and I'll watch it, and you'll know I'll watch it because I'll click on something or whatever. We'll verify that you, I suppose, you went to get a cup of coffee, kind of thing. So, but that's the model. So, if you you have to really think about differently, not CPM, not even CPC, kind of thing, but more like cost per attention and you know ROI on an individual, and you'll be able to do that across sort of multiple types of psychographics. I mean, that's one. We can talk about loyalty. We can talk about customer experience. I mean, all over the place. I mean, it's hard for me to predict, but it's like one of those things where, you know, it's my third rodeo, dude. I went through internet, I went through social media, and now I'm in the crypto. 
And it's like, I say it to people, and I don't mean to be glib about it, but it's like coming to me in 1994 and saying, well, how's the internet going to affect marketing? I'm like, dude, how's it not going to affect marketing? You know, like, it's more important to get your head around that. It, oh, definitely. And you don't know where the road's going to go. Right. Um, now we're at the point of this. Now we're, like, that's awesome inside, Jeremy. I mean, that's, I think we're, we're at the point of the show where we're looking um, not forward, but backward. And you um, gave me two points uh, of things that you did um, in the past with your offline background that a lot of people don't know. I didn't know if you wanted to, if you could share some of those experiences. And can you tee me up like a like a alley oop here? You throw it down. Uh, it down. was a, a Microsoft course, and then the other one was Gretchen Rubin. Oh yeah, no, that's true. So yeah, no, I've, 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 it's been fun, man. I mean, I, I I really love what I do, and I feel blessed to be able to do do it on a daily basis. Yeah, so um. I mean, it's kind of a funny story. I, I was at Microsoft for six years, as I think I mentioned, and it was like maybe like late 2007, early 2008. I'm in a room with like 25 people, and uh, we're all talking about like how do we, you know, drive more awareness and and customer partner interest. And I was like, you know, there's this new thing called um, Facebook. I think it could be an interesting way to like drive awareness and engagement. And there was a guy, we'll call him Brad, since that's his name, who basically gets up in front of everybody and says to me, and I quote, that's the dumbest fucking idea I've ever heard. And I was like, he's like, we don't control the platform. We don't own the content, blah, blah. And I'm like, man, I was humiliated, like clearly not a career high point. So I walked out of there and I was like, all right, man, you know, I don't know what the future of marketing is. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's not what Microsoft's been doing for the last 30 years. Like, I just feel like it's different. So that's when I quit, started Never Stop Marketing. Um, and I started uh, sort of doing consulting, but more around the question, less about like, hey, how to use Twitter and Facebook to do advertising, which is nice, but more about like, well, how does marketing kind of come, um, how, how does marketing evolve uh, because of the arrival of social media, the same way we're exploring it now with, with crypto, right? And 10 years ago, it wasn't obvious at all. And like now more and more people are like, oh, it's conversational. It's too well. Like, dude, I know that's what we've been talking about for 10 years, whatever. So one of my earliest clients was Gretchen Rubin, the uh, author. And she basically said to me, hey, Jeremy, can you apply some of these concepts to this community of people who are sort of following me on Facebook or whatever? But can you apply some of these community um, concepts about how you drive awareness and influence, but specifically like by, you know, catalyzing word of mouth and, and things like that um, in order to help with the promotion of my upcoming book, The Happiness Project. Um, you know, and she had been, I had been referred to her by Dan Pink, who's another New York Times bestselling author. And so basically I worked with her and we sort of like gave her some strategic guidelines about things that, again, this is all hypothesis. I didn't really know, um, but we were testing it out. But bottom line is we were able to basically have the book shoot up to like number one. It was like number two on its opening and then number one. So that was really, really huge. And I always tell people the best part of the story is two years. And I worked with like Johnson Johnson. I worked with Dan Pink. I did a bunch of things. But two years after I started, I got a call from the head of worldwide training um, at Microsoft for sales and marketing. And she's like, you know... People are really interested in like this social media and community marketing stuff. Like, do you want to be our worldwide instructor um, and put together the course? And I was like, well, you could have had it for free, but you want to pay through the nose? 
we'll do it your way. Fine. So they basically sent me all around the world and like taught a bunch of classes to a bunch of marketers. And it was amazing. I mean, they were great people and they were just trying to get their head around like, how do we do this? I mean, when, and the hard part, of course, when you're working in a big company is like, how do you do it? Take smart risks without getting fired. Um, that's never an easy one. Um, but they were great. And so that was kind of part of the ride. And then ultimately, it was someone there who introduced me to the CEO of Sprinkler, who then called me and recruited me and basically was like, hey, you need to go do this thing. And that's kind of what happened there. So so hopefully that's what you were looking for. Well, that's awesome, Jeremy. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, we, we, we talked about, you know, blockchain. We talked about Never Stop. We talked about your past going to, you know, coming to now. And I mean, the world of marketing is always going to be a mystery. A mystery. The future is a mystery. But um, this is part of the uh, the segment here um, is talking about you. Like, you know, what do you do to get money? How do how do you live? Like, what's your passion behind Never Stop? The second thing is, is you know, what do you do creatively that's not Never Stop that brings back to to back to the company, back to your passion. And then the third thing is, what do you do health wise? So. All of this is just to kind of help the readers get a construct of succeeding just doesn't happen. It's hard work and it's a balance of different things. Can you kind of describe um, each of those three things, um, your passion, um, what do you do creatively to bring back to that passion and uh, health needs? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great, great series of questions. I'm going to take notes here and I know we got to wrap this thing up soon. So I, I'll, I'll try to be uh, brief, although I get fired up. Um, so. I'll start with the health. Like I'm pretty crazy on the health side. Like I, I work out at least once a day. Like I'll just hit the treadmill for like half an hour in the morning. Um, you don't see me right now cause we're not on video, but on most of my calls, like I have curls, like uh, dumbbells in my room. So I do a lot of curls. I always stand on my calls because it's like how I stay focused. So I'm not multitasking, but while I'm standing, I'm doing curls. I'm um, then at my house, I have a pull up bar here in my office. So like, if I'm just listening or watching a video, I can do that. So I try to integrate you know, I also schedule a lot of conference calls and when it's nice, I'll walk through this park near my house. So basically I can integrate the the workout, the healthy with the with the working. I mean, I also have a pretty um, rigid diet. I'm vegan because after a series of tests, I decided that that was just the best route for me. And it's been so far, it's been working pretty well. Although I will say the single best uh, dietary decision I ever made was going off sugar. That was if you do nothing else, that's the thing to get off of. It's an absolute game changer in terms of performance. Uh, for me, I drink a ton of coffee too. Um, but uh, there's that. Then, as far as like passion, like I mean, I'm I'm very fortunate. Like I'm just passionate about you know uh, tech, the intersection of marketing and, and technology. Like it's just like I love. I'm a relationship person. I love people. I love learning from them. I love traveling. And unfortunately, I get to do a fair amount of that. Probably my wife thinks it's too much, but I know. In fact, I know she thinks it's too much. Um, and. You know, I get to and explore technology. I mean, I yesterday I did like a half hour deep dive with the lead developer from Quantum, which is like the probably like the 14th most valuable cryptocurrency on the planet. And I have like multiple conversations like that during the week, um, which is fantastic. So basically, um, that that is my passion. So I just get to, to do that. Um, and then it sort of works out where basically what people tend to bring me in for is, you know, at most about 80% of my work is sort of working directly with these crypto startups, um, helping them as a marketing advisor. So they'll ask me to sort of either mentor some of their um, in-house team or provide some insights because they know I'm speaking to a lot of um, 
projects. They know that, you know, I'm going to Korea next week, for example, to speak at a conference. I'm, I run a quarterly trip to Switzerland for into Crypto Valley. So, you know, I'm in D.C. and I have a I was just at an event yesterday about like the regulatory legal compliance environment. So, like, you know, it, it, and and so they're asking for that kind of perspective, because when you're a startup, like your heads are down on the ground where they should be. But it's valuable to have somebody on your team. And I had this at Sprinkler and it was amazing. Um, had somebody who's like out there looking at the larger and the changing landscape about what's happening so that you can make so you so just to give you another data point so you can make um hopefully the right business decision you want so people appreciate that and the fact that you know i i went through this sprinkler experience and i was very fortunate like my former board member said to me you know jeremy there there are probably only 100 people in the whole world who the head of marketing from series a through unicorn status so I was like, wow, I'm going to go update my LinkedIn profile. You know, it was really um, so between those things, like that's that's where people sort of bring me on as an advisor um, to kind of help give that. And then the other part of my time is, you know, I, I do a lot of speaking at like corporate events um, where companies and, and industry associations are like, OK, we hear about this blockchain thing. Like, what the heck is it? What does it mean for us? And, you know, you're working with like some of the most valuable crypto startups on the planet and you're sort of connected to these guys. like. Basically, can you give us some insights? Like, I tell people that my job is to speak enough Klingon that I can understand the geeks, but translate it to English so that everybody else understands what's going on. Jeremy, um, awesome. I think a lot of people are um, are going to get a lot from this from this podcast, and I really appreciate you being on here um, and explaining your story and where you came from and what you're doing. But it's always I mean, you, you literally live your mantra of never stop marketing. So um, <laughs> I tried. Yeah. Well, appreciate, I appreciate, appreciate it. And I will give you a shout out. <laughs> I, I want to give you some props and I want your listeners to know something about you. Like I actually just rolled off another podcast right before yours. We were recording and probably do, you know, anywhere from one to three a week, depending on the week or whatever. But I have to say there aren't that many people out there who put as much diligence and thought into the pre pre preparation for um for a podcast as you do and i think what it does is it really shows a commitment to quality and to respecting your listeners and i just think that like i hope people like that's the perspective like uh, this week actually i've done three podcasts and a webinar so i, I have and that's not you know so I, I have a little bit of perspective on this and i think that hopefully they'll appreciate the quality product that you're giving them except for today which is totally full of crap obviously <laughs> no, and, uh, well, it's full of coffee. How about that? Instead, yeah, of, yeah. instead of crap. <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. Appreciate uh, appreciate the compliment. Appreciate you being on. And uh, converge coffee drinkers out there, I hope you enjoyed this episode. And that's a wrap.